Matthew 7. We're looking at the first five verses. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a, a heads up. Three months from now, the first two weekends of June, we're going to have two um, discipleship weekends here at the church. And we'd like for you already to mark your calendar so that you have reserved that time. So we can all be together over those two weekends. We're not going to sleep at the church, but we will uh, study, share, eat, be together from Friday night through Saturday afternoon. We'll do that two weekends in a row. Okay, Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So the Amplified Bible, the first verse is worded this way. Do not judge or criticize or condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge so that you may not be judged unfairly and criticized and condemned yourself. Verse 2, Jesus had said, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So I brought a few measuring things tonight. We've got the teaspoon and the tablespoon and a measuring cup. So the, to the degree that you meet out judgment to others, to that some degree, it's going to be, you're going to be judged. So you want to be judged just a little bit, then only judge someone else just a little bit. Condemn, criticize just a little bit. Because if you judge to this amount, you're not going to get just a little bit back. Jesus said you will get back the same amount that you give to other people. So if you're quick to criticize and you think you have a prophetic gift because you can see what's wrong with everybody. <laughs> actually, we can all see what's wrong with everybody, right? That's usually not too hard to see. We need to take Yeshua, Jesus' words, to heart when he says, don't judge lest you be judged. Because with the same measure you judge, you will be judged in return. So it's a good warning for us. And then in verse 3 through 5, he talks about looking at the speck in your brother's eye, but not considering the plank in your own eye. Reuben, are you ready to come up here? Reuben's going to help with a visual aid. Where's your plank? I've already read the scripture. Yeah. I mean, you can read it again, but. Well, let me take, let me take that speck out of your eye. Where's your plank? Well. I'm, you know, obviously this was not practiced. No, it was. I thought he was going to practice it with Here, a man. let me take that speck out of your eye. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That okay. didn't work. 
That, you get the idea, right? So someone just has a speck in their eye. They got a toothpick in their eye. And someone comes up with a plank and says, let me take that. They can't even reach to the eye because the plank is so much in the way. So that's what, the, what Yeshua, the Lord, is saying here. He's denouncing the hypocrisy of those who are judging others while still having serious problems of their own. They were not perfect, and yet they expected other people to be. Those with the planks were judging those with the specks. So the Greek word translated, translated judge is krino. It means to assume the office of a judge, to condemn, or to execute judgment upon someone. In the Lord's command, judge not, he was forbidding unlawful judgment of others. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous, righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So Paul here says, are you judging others and yet you're doing the same things or similar things or even worse things? Are you going after the specks in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own? And you know, sometimes what bothers us about other people is not as serious as the fact that we're judging them and criticizing them in our hearts. That's what really upsets the Lord. He looks at our hearts, and that's real upsetting to Him, and it might not bother Him much at all what we're judging someone else for. We don't always judge people according to sin. We tend to judge them according to culture or preference or what we think is important. So that's why the judging itself is worse than the actual thing that we're looking at. In verse 4, he says, Do you despise God's goodness, forbearance, and patience? If you appreciate God's goodness, forbearance, and patience, then show that to others. If you're not good and patient with others, you're showing that you despise God's goodness and patience with you. Your hard heart will incur God's wrath and judgment. See how serious all this is? Look at John 7, verse 24. John 7, 24. This is at the end of a, a situation where um, Jesus had healed someone, the Pharisees were mad at Him. And in verse 4, 24 He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
When we judge others according to our standards of behavior or on the basis of appearance or personality, we're judging unrighteously. We must not judge according to what looks right to us. Our judgment must be righteous and faithful. In the, in the next chapter next week, we're going to look more at this whole issue of when, what, what is the whole picture here very clearly. Today we're more just focusing on the whole thing of judgment. So someone once said to me, it was actually a lady who had um, been misjudged. I'll, I'll tell you what happened to her. She was a divorcee. She was raising her three sons. Her oldest son was my age. We were teenagers. And so I knew the family well because he was in our youth group and they were in our church. And one day she said to me, I have one brother and he came over last week and parked in my driveway, came into the house, spent the evening with my family, spent the night. We had such a good time, hadn't seen him in a long time. And the next morning he got in his car and drove away. And my neighbor saw that I had entertained a man that night. And she began to tell the other neighbors that I'm entertaining men in my home overnight. And she ruined my reputation with all the neighbors because she assumed that what she saw was her, her perception of it. You know, she, she gave, put her own interpretation to what she saw. So then she followed that with these words. Believe half of what you see and none of what you hear half of what you see and none of what you hear. There's often more to the story than the situation that we are aware of. Who do we think we are that we can judge another? That's what it amounts to, right? The arrogance, the pride that we think we can judge somebody else, their life, their, um, their vocation, their language, their preferences, their choices. Who do we think we are that we can judge? It says clearly in Scripture, it's before their own master that they stand or fall. So there was a girl in a high school, heard this story some years ago by the, the person involved, girl in the high school who arrived late every day. And her, her hair was kind of all messed up and her clothes were kind of, you know, she looked bedraggled and she always looked tired and she didn't participate much in class. She sat off by herself and no one really reached out to her, paid attention to her. And so one day this guy in the class went to her and said, are you okay? You always come in late. Is there something going on? And she said, my father's an alcoholic and every night he goes to the bar and he drinks until he's drunk and then I need to go and drag him to the car, get him home, get him into bed and make sure he's okay before I can ever go to bed. So she said, I go to bed very late every night and then I, I tend to sleep late in the morning. I can't get up, I'm so tired. And she said, this is my life every day. You know, if the rest of the class had known that was her situation, don't you know they would have been compassionate toward her and merciful and tender toward her, but they didn't know the whole truth. They just thought she was a weird girl, didn't know how to dress, didn't know how to comb her hair, you know. And so they left her alone and judged her without mercy. We don't know what other people live with. We don't know what they have lived with. We don't know what traumas they've walked through. We don't know the heartache that they carry. Even in this room, we don't know the heartaches 
that are in here. I heard years ago this quote, and it has stayed with me, and it is, walk softly, for every man you meet is carrying a cross. Walk softly, for every man you meet is carrying a cross. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Let's go to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah is one of the small prophets. Micah comes after Jonah, who's even a smaller prophet, <laughs> as far as only a few chapters. Micah 6, verse 8. says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We're to do justly. That means we're to be fair. We're to be righteous. We're to be just in what we do. But then when others don't do that, then we're to love mercy. We give them mercy cheerfully. We look for opportunities to be merciful to other people. We love doing it. And then we walk humbly with God. Humility is the bedrock of the mercy that we give to other people. If we are arrogant and proud, we don't give mercy very easily. But when we're humble, then we easily give mercy to others because we realize how much mercy we need ourselves. Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful in the same way your Father in heaven is merciful. God lavishes His mercy on us, therefore we should lavish our mercy on other people. So what is mercy? You got a few definitions in your book. Uh, mercy allows others to make a mistake and still be entitled to your love. It doesn't ridicule. It doesn't mock. It doesn't criticize when others fail. Mercy treats another as a person of worth even when he or she does unworthy things. Mercy always defends, loves, and protects. Mercy feels pain at another's shame. It covers sin quickly with forgiveness. We in the body of Christ are not as merciful as we should be. In fact, unjust and unloving criticism of one another has been called the peculiar sin of the saints. Isn't that sad? That that is, that is how we are known in many places. That in the church, we, we take the wounded and we wound them further. Unjust, unloving criticism. The author and theologian Paul Bilheimer wrote, Disunity in the body of Christ probably sends more people to hell than open sin. It binds the hands of the Holy Spirit and thwarts His work of convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The most important prerequisite to world evangelization and revival is the unity of the body of Christ. And the way we build unity is we love one another. We're merciful toward one, one another. We take time to build relationship with each other. Because we've cut covenant with God, there's automatically an assumed covenant between each of us. We are brothers and sisters. We don't just use that term lightly. We belong to one another. So the words that should describe us in the kingdom are words like trust and covenant and commitment 
and honesty and believing the best of each other and real relationship, not shallow relationships, real relationship. This is part of belonging to each other in the body. The most common tools that the enemy has used to fragment the church are accusations and criticisms that come from within the body. It's, it's us fighting each other. Throughout history, the church has thrived under outside persecution, but it has disintegrated under inside perse persecution. If the devil cannot destroy God's people from outside attacks, then he comes inside using the tools of judgment and accusation and criticism to divide and conquer us. When there's persecution against the believers in a nation, Usually you see revival in that nation. China is, is the best example probably. When communism first took over, over 70 years ago, there were three million believers. They started imprisoning the Christians. They started torturing them, murdering them. Now there's over 100 million believers. The church has exploded in the midst of all the persecution. It's happening now in Iran. Iran is, is targeting all the believers to persecute them, to put them in prison, to annihilate them, to, to martyr them. And in the midst of all that, the church is growing faster in Iran than any other nation in the world. It's the biggest revival in the world is in Iran. So, you know, if the enemy can't win by fighting us from the outside, then he comes inside and he pits us against each other where we question each other's motives and we, we judge one another and we criticize one another and we think badly of each other. Man, that should not be. That should not be. We are the body of Christ. We are in covenant with each other. We need to build the unity of the body. Pastor Rick Joyner wrote, Accusation has been the devil's most effective and deadly tool in destroying the light, the power, and the witness of Christ. It's a shame that we are often more willing to share weaknesses and judge others than we are to speak well of them. To find fault with someone is not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Anyone can find fault. It takes the mature to overlook the fault with the love of God. Gene Edwards wrote a book called Crucified by Christians. Y'all ever read that? Crucified by Christians? Reuben and I have. Carl has. He read our book. It's now been uh, retitled, if you order it online, which I think you can. It's now called Exquisite Agony. But it's all about how people have been so hurt by the church. They've been so hurt by other believers. And it has derailed them in their walk with God. And then the importance of forgiving, getting back on track with the Lord. But, um, you know, you, you think to yourself, if the unbelievers give me a hard time, I can accept that. I can understand it. But for believers to give me a hard time? And that's what the book's about. It's when believers hurt believers. One of, one of his strongest points in that book is he says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he never went back to the guys that crucified him and said, man, you crucified me. Look at the pain you put me through. He never went back to the disciples and said, y'all betrayed me. You all ran when I needed you to be there. He never threw back in the face of anyone what they did to him. He so totally forgave them. 
And when he rose from the dead, all he did was speak life. All he did was gather the disciples together to love on them again. And that's a sign of true forgiveness when we don't speak badly about the people who have hurt us. Okay. So condemning other believers wounds the body of Christ, not just that person. It wounds the whole body of Christ. If Elvira and I speak harshly to each other and speak harshly about each other, that wounds the whole body of Christ because we're all one with one another. So that's part of our responsibility and walking in mature mercy and love with one another. Condemning believers destroys its testimony in the seen and the unseen realm, both of which look to the, the believers to represent God. So I say it that way because in this realm, people look to us to represent God. But it's not limited just here. The demons and the angels look to us to represent God. So both the seen and the unseen realm are affected by the way we interact with one another. Every time we accuse another believer, we are putting into motion a death process that affects the body of Christ, it affects the testimony of the church, and it affects us personally. Because we are speaking words of death that we are hearing, and it ministers death to us. Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. So what should we do when we see weaknesses and sin in each other? We should pray. Harsh judgment increases the lack of love and disunity in the body, but prayer moves God into action and unifies us. So we choose to pray rather than to criticize. And when we do that, we'll see the church become the light of the world that she was destined to be. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. There are times that we see sin in another and we are responsible to point it out so that they can repent and get restored. And that's what we're going to look at here for a few minutes. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, but sometimes depending on our relationship with that person, we need to speak up. So Galatians 6, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so let's break this down for a minute. So he's speaking to the brethren, family of God. If a man is overtaken or is overcome by a trespass, not just that he has sinned in an area or he missed the mark in an area, but he's overcome in that. Maybe he's come into a place of addiction. Maybe it has overwhelmed him and he's not walking with the Lord anymore as a result. It's something major to be overtaken or overwhelmed. Then you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. So there is a responsibility that we have to one another in the body. That if we see someone overtaken in a sin, overcome by that sin, if we meet the requirements then we would get alongside that person and um, encourage them to walk with the Lord again. We would minister life and healing to them, probably need to do some counseling with them, probably need to pray with them that a bondage be broken and that the Lord brings them back to where He wants them, whatever the picture looks like. 
But there's some criteria for how to do that, and he says it here in this passage. The first thing is, he says, you who are spiritual. So that means we have to be mature in the Lord to take on the responsibility of helping someone else out of their pattern of sin. So you don't just go up to someone and say, man, I, I see you've really got a struggle in this area. I'm going to help you with this. And meantime, you met the Lord just yesterday. You know, you've got to have some degree of maturity and spirituality about you. And you need to be innocent in that area of sin. If it's an area that you're falling in all the time, you're not going to have the anointing to help someone else get free in that same area. You might see that they're in sin. You might believe that they need to be restored. But if you're not innocent, don't even try to be the one that can do that. And then um, you have to earn the right to speak on levels like this. Levels of sin, restoring somebody, you've got to have earned the right to speak. So the people that have a right to speak into the lives of others, one is a spiritual authority has that right. Like John Durham, if he sees any of you in sin, he can walk right up to you. He doesn't even have to know your name. And he can say, I can see that you're in sin, and I'm going to help you get free of that. Because he is a spiritual authority. He's our pastor here. There are other pastors here. And there are different spiritual, we have levels of spiritual authority. And so, if you are in a position of spiritual authority, you have the right to speak into the life of someone. Beth Smith over here, um, she disciples numerous young women. She has the right to speak into their lives because she is in a discipling authority over them. The other way we have the right to speak is through a committed friendship. You are really committed in your friendship. You trust each other. You've opened up on a deep level. And you've, you, you know, like we're good friends with Kevin. Reuben and I and Kevin, we've, we've done quite a bit together. Kevin waved everybody. Okay. So if Kevin saw something in Reuben's life and he really felt Reuben was overcome in some area of sin, he has the relationship to go to Reuben and say, Hey, brother, man, I love you. We've walked a lot of roads together, and I'm really concerned about this. Can we talk about it? Because there's a committed relationship there. Kaylee and I have a committed relationship. She could come to me and say, hey, Anit, I've been seeing, I've been seeing you're losing your temper and beating everybody up. We got to talk about this, you know. So you've got to have earned the right to speak through committed relationship or through spiritual authority. Okay, then he gives more direction here. He says, restore in a spirit of gentleness and so that's with humility. You're gentle. You don't beat them over the head. I'm going to beat the sin out of you. No, that's not what you do. You're motivated by a love in your heart that desires restoration for the other person. And so you approach them. You appeal to them. You don't come across rough and harsh. You appeal to them. And you're motivated by love, and you do it all gently. So that's how you do it. Uh, the third thing is, don't think you're out of reach of temptation yourself. Don't think, well, I would never fall to that temptation. I would never fall to any temptation. Therefore, I can straighten all of you out. If you've got that attitude, <laughs> you're on the way down already, hey? <laughs> Pride goes before a fall. So stay close to Jesus. Be alert to temptation so that you can resist it. 
Don't, don't think too highly of yourself. And then four, bear the burdens and the frailties of others in love. So there may be a season where that person does not hear the truth from you and they're not ready to be restored and they don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Just continue to love them. Just continue to reach out to them and bear their burden before the Lord in intercession. That's what we do. We pray and intercede till the victory comes. Look down in verse 10. Same, same chapter. As we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to one another, because we belong to each other. <clears throat> the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom is when God's people express unity and love. Unity does not just increase our spiritual authority, it multiplies that authority. Let me say that again. Unity does not just increase our spiritual authority. It multiplies our spiritual authority. Go to John chapter 17. going to read verses 20 through 23. Jesus is praying. He's right at the end. It's right before his passion when he's about to be uh, put on trial and then crucified. And this is his last major prayer to the Father. He prays in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. He was talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, because we believe in Jesus through the word of the disciples, through what we've read, through the gospel that we've heard preached. Verse 21, that they all may be one. Okay, so he's talking about us here in the chapel. That we all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus was saying, when they are one in us, then the world will believe that you sent me. So when the world sees our love and our unity as Jesus' disciples, then they'll believe that he is the Messiah. It's because of our unity, not by amazing signs and wonders, that the divinity of Jesus is authenticated. We would like to think it when we see some miracles, everyone's going to believe Jesus is the Messiah. They saw miracles in the New Testament when Jesus walked with them for three years, and most of them still did not believe. It's not miracles that are going to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. It's going to be our love for one another. It's going to be our unity in the body of Christ. <clears throat> The enemy is the accuser of the brethren, we're told in Revelation chapter 12. And so we must never join him in accusing others. We need to cover one another's weaknesses, not expose them. The sword fighters of old, you probably know this, the sword fighters of old used a shield that came around them about three quarter. 
And so they could fight, and they had they could fight out with their sword, and then they held the shield, and it covered them. It did not cover their back. And so two sword fighters, two warriors of the same tribe, would fight back to back, so they covered each other's back. And then they could fight the enemy on every side because they had their backs covered, and they were covered all the way around. That's what we need to do, fight back to back. Stand next to each other. Be one with one another and fight the enemy together. We are not the enemy. Your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ are not the enemy. There is a real enemy, the devil, and all of his demons, and that's who we fight. And we fight most effectively when we fight together. To the degree that we judge others, to that same degree we will be judged. The judicial office belongs to God. It does not belong to us. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So let's look at one more passage in Romans 15. Romans 15, 5 through 7 says, May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at verse 5. He says, The God of patience and the God of comfort grant you to be just the same toward each other. That means toward each other we minister comfort and we minister patience, just like our Father does. So that with one mind, one mouth, we glorify God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ together. And then verse 7 says, Therefore, as a result, because of that, Receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This phrase, receive one another in the Greek, means take in to make one with yourself just as when you eat food. When you eat food, it becomes one with you. And after a while, it's walking, talking, and making decisions, that food that you ate at lunch. Okay, so if you receive each other that way, if we accept one another, we take one another in to be a part of our own lives. It, it really is a good picture of covenant. There's not distance between us. We are one. We've taken one another in. We've accepted and received one another just as Jesus received us to the glory of God. So I want to suggest that for the next few minutes, we have some time of evaluating. It would be real easy to hear something like this and just walk on out, go to our small groups and discuss together. But I believe that the Lord is going to put on our hearts people that we need to contact, that we have judged, that we need to apologize to, or... Um, maybe people we've criticized that we don't need to contact them. They may not even know. Maybe you've criticized them in your heart. Maybe you've <coughs> criticized them to a trusted friend. But you are wrong in criticizing them, and you want to apologize for that before God. You want to repent of that. 
and, and ask the Lord to forgive you and to bless that person. Ask the Lord where you need to repent of lovelessness. Pray for those that you've hurt. Make plans to bless them in some way. Ask God who you can show extra measures of mercy and grace to. You know, it says in James, if we just hear the word and we don't do the word, then we become deceived. And we don't want to be deceived. We want to be doers of the word. So I believe that that starts with prayer, that the Holy Spirit can convict our hearts and show us what are, what are the actions we need to take as a result of hearing this today. The clear teaching of Jesus when he said, don't judge, don't judge. You're going to be judged. You're going to be judged with the same measure that you judge other people. How can you try to get the plank out of your brother's eye or the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a plank in your eye? How can you try to, you know, first say, take the plank out of your eye, Jesus said, then get the speck out of your brother's eye. So there is a time to get the speck out of our brother's eye, but not before we get the plank out of our own. So let's spend some time just praying, seeking the Lord, and then... Um, I'll release us to go into our small groups. Let's hear what he has to say. So I want to pray that. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to each one of us tonight as we quiet our hearts and listen to you? Would you show us the people that we have slandered or gossiped about or criticized or accused or condemned? Lord, whether it's been verbally or in our own hearts, would you show us so that we can confess that is sin and repent of it? Lord, we don't want to walk in this. We want to walk in purity of heart. We want our mouths to speak words of life. We don't want to speak words of death. We don't want to criticize or condemn. We don't want to side with the enemy and accuse somebody. So, Lord, would you deliver us of all these things? And as we pray, would you put your finger on the things in our lives that we need to deal with before you? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.